Hi, this is Maggie Rose, and you're listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. I started this podcast to showcase women in music who inspire me and who I want folks everywhere to know about. My guests are icons in contemporary music, independent artists, studio musicians, hit songwriters, and power players behind the scenes. All of them challenging the status quo, respecting the hustle, and leading the way for women following in their footsteps. Salute the Songbird is a platform for women in music to share their stories and let their voices be heard. And everyone has a seat at the table. Welcome. Hey, hey, everybody. I'm so excited about today's guest. But first, I'm going to tell you something that you might not have already known, which is that I am a Fish fan. I was introduced to the band by my husband, and we've bonded over their music. Their live show and musical experience is unlike any other. But through my fandom of Fish, I discovered today's guest, the powerhouse talent Jen Hartswick. And she's been accompanying Trey Anastasio in his solo endeavors for 20-plus years She's a wickedly good singer and trumpet player, a great songwriter. She's now a native of Nashville, but she's from Vermont. And I've been watching her play the Beacon Jams, which happened this autumn. Uh, It was Trey's virtual concert series that he did from the Beacon in New York City. But even though I had been on the same bill as Jen when we played shows like Peach Fest and we did Sweetwater with Bob Weir in California, it wasn't until I participated in Marcus King's Four of a Kind series last summer that I actually got to hang with her. And I have to say, she is as cool as she is talented. So you guys are in for a massive treat. If you aren't already a fan of Jen's, I'm sure you will be by the end of our conversation. All right, we're good. We're recording. Everyone looks good. We already got that figured out. That's the easy part. That's that's done. So we know how to do that analog style, <laughs> baby. We got our wine. The heater's going. All right. Nothing else. Jennifer Hartswick. Hello. Um, salute the songbird. We salute you. I'm so happy that you're joining me this week. I'm yeah. such a fan. You're such a badass. Cheers to you. We're both enjoying some red wine. Red wine. Uh, tell the listeners where you are this evening. I am quarantined in a hotel room in Vermont so that I can go see my family. So you just traveled from New York City? Yes. So that would require a 14-day quarantine? Yeah, it's gotten longer. Yeah. Your family can't contest that you aren't doing everything you can to see them. <laughs> exactly. I feel privileged to introduce any of you who don't know who Jen Hartswick is yet today, but you're just a total badass, incredible trumpet player. You're such an incredible musician that I'm so happy to have you on the show. And Thank you so much. I'm so happy talk to Talk to us here. about all the badassery that you're a part of. <laughs> the assery? Is that what you said? <laughs> the oh, the yeah. badassery. Oh, and the assery. <laughs> you know, can all be bad all the time. Uh, but you're in Vermont where you're a native of. Yes. And I, in doing my research, found out some pretty astonishing things about your early career. And I mean, as early as high school, when you yep. got your first call from Trey. Yeah. But is your whole family musical? Yes. My whole family, my mom is one of five kids. She's the youngest of five kids. And they're all brilliant classical musicians. 
Um, and my brother was a trumpet player and my dad was really the only one who wasn't a professional musician. Everybody else was. And so I never really stood a chance to do anything else, which I'm very grateful for. Um, but we had a grand piano in the house growing up and every instrument. So it was sort of just like, you know, pick one that suits you and play it until it doesn't suit you anymore. So I started off on piano and flute and clarinet and sax before I ever even got any sort of brass instrument. I got my first trumpet when I was 10. And I was like, all right, everybody else is out. This is yeah. like, that felt like the one to me that- You found the one. You had dated yeah. around all yeah. the other musical instruments. Yeah, I dated around. What was it about the trumpet that was so compelling to you? It was loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, bombastic. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just like, I felt a relationship with that instrument. I also felt like- what I brought to it was a little different than maybe what somebody else brought to it. Like a joke about it being loud, but so many trumpet players really want to play like loud and high and fast and their personalities usually match that. Right, <laughs> so right. And for me, it was like, I wanted to play like Chet Baker. I wanted to play like sort of, you know, soft and like that aspect of it, which is not as popular, I would say. But that's what I loved about it is that I could kind of make it do anything. Yeah, you're so malleable and you can hang. I mean, that is one thing about Jen. You can sit in with anybody, any musician, young or old. I know that you're big on rehearsal, so you're not just impromptu jumping up there. But if you needed to, you definitely Oh, sure. Yeah. There's an equal amount of each, I would say. I prefer a good rehearsal to work stuff out, but you have to be able to do everything and everything. I love that. And I think a lot of people think in the jam scene or when you're so innately talented as yourself that it's like, oh, it's so breezy. They're just jumping up and playing with this person and that person, but it's really quite intentional. Yeah. And, you know, our job is also to make it look easy. So if that's what people right. think, then great. <laughs> you did your job. You did it right. We all did it right. Okay. So you grew up in a musical family and I'm jealous of that because I was kind of the black sheep in my family, just singing sure. around the house. And I have these two great sisters who are my friends, but never wanted to really do any of the musical stuff with me. Aww. So I wish that I had had an environment like that that was a little bit more collaborative. Do you think, and maybe you'll get in trouble for this, are you the best musician in your family? No, I'm definitely <laughs> not. That, like not by a long shot. Not I by mean, a long shot. No, no. My aunt is such a like wicked, sorry to sound like a northerner, but like <laughs> such a wicked piano player. And a lot of them don't play so much anymore, um, mm-hmm. but she still rips. She still plays. And I'm still just completely in awe of her when I see her play. I mean, it's like really, truly mind-blowing world-class stuff coming out of her hands where I'm like, wow, I really need to go practice. And, and I'm the only one in the family who does what I do. Everybody else is sort of on that classical tip. So I was always the black sheep of the family, even though everyone was musical. You know, no one played jazz. No one played in a rock band, certainly. And so that's how we kind of differ. But no, they're like... There are some monsters in my family. So do they kind of, are they supportive or do they kind of give you shit a little bit? No, they're super supportive. They're really nice people. No, they're super supportive. And they- they Well, and they should be supportive, but sometimes, you know, fellow musicians are like, hey, pretty good. (laughs) No, they still think that I should practice more, but- Sure. um, You know, they still appreciate what it is that I do. And- you know, they never traveled. That's sort of 
another thing that separates us. So they don't understand how I could possibly be comfortable being on the road almost 300 days a year either, you know, and they don't have to understand it. They, they know they don't have to understand it, but they're more of like homebodies. And I mean, it takes a special person, personality, work ethic, ambition to do that. I mean, it's a physically demanding job and of course, mentally. Yeah. I think if you start that young, you don't know. You're just mm-hmm. naive to it. And and that was a blessing for me was that I started so early going on the road that I really never knew any differently. So being on the road that much was no big deal. And it's only now I just had my 40th birthday last month that I'm like, you know, and when I'm forced to be home because of a pandemic that I'm like, Ooh, home is home is rad too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's very new for me. And it, in none of us would ever choose to be home for that long if we had the choice. But when we're forced into it, you might as well find the good in everything. So what um, are some of those good things? I mean, just physically being in one place for that long is really an incredible blessing. It allowed me to reevaluate my shit and sort of get it together as far as what I want it to look like, what it does look like, what areas I can improve in. You know, I'm, I've been married for six years and we've spent maybe six months of that together because we both travel for a living. So being home together was really beautiful. You know, just finding out that we still really enjoy each other's company is like, oh, that's really cool. That's good to know. Not that there was any doubt in my mind, but it's really nice, you know? Hey, it's a different type of togetherness. Yeah. Yeah. And so my husband's a huge fan. And so am I of your husband, Chris Chu. uh, do and you he's know? A, my husband's an old Miss boy, so okay. he actually used to. Chris won't remember this, but they used to open up for the North Mississippi All Stars, and no you know, way. He was very, very excited for so many reasons, but that was one of them. Okay, well, I'm gonna either blow your mind or you're gonna totally remember. <laughs> Do you know that when you were on tour with Kelly, that he was driving the bus? No. So he knows you. Because he's like, oh, yeah, she opened for Kelly for all those. And so he. That's how we met because we've been Instagram friends for a while. But I was just a fan of his musicianship and I hadn't put it together that that's how we actually met. Yeah. So he um, was, has always been a bass player, but he also drives tour buses and he drove Kelly's tour. And I just talked to him before I hopped on with you. And he's like, you tell Maggie, I said, hey, you tell her I want to be her bass player. And I said, okay, I'm not going to probably say it in the interview, but (laughs) you said it, you did what he said. I love him. And yes, you kind of did blow my mind because he's such a badass. But I also knew that he was driving the bus when he was out with Cody and Luther and yeah, so he was, he was, he's a hardworking man. Hardworking Southern gentleman is what we he both is. have that work ethic. Yeah. Well, I think there's been a lot of beauty to the pace slowing down. It was certainly jarring and yeah. you probably share this with me, but I had an identity crisis in the beginning of this whole experience. Cause I was like, if I'm not a performer, then what am I? You know, yeah, we're performers, but we're human beings first, you know? And I think sometimes we forget that and, and we forego our really basic human needs in order to do what we do for a living. And, um, you know, just sort of have to put on the brakes and say, okay, as a person, who do I want to be? I know what I want to be career-wise, but as a person, what am I not doing? How can I be a better person, you know? it's been amazing to be able to, and to know that everybody's sort of in the same boat. Everybody's home. Right. Now we're calling each other to check on each other like never before. And I don't know, it means a lot to know that people are thinking about you and checking in. And so that feels good too, as a person, you know? 
I want to go yeah. back to the origins of how you got into this. Mm-hmm. So you were becoming known in Vermont for your musical abilities. And when you were in high school, Trey somehow found you. Trey yeah. Anastasio found you. Okay, A, how did he know that there was like this young trumpet singer? Do you know who Dave Grippo is? No, I don't. Because mm-hmm. Dave Grippo used to be in, when Fish would go out with a horn section, they were called the Giant Country Horns. And Dave Grippo was in that horn section, was sort of the leader of that horn section. Okay. And I had met Dave. Um, he's a great alto player, wonderful person, a great sort of teacher and mentor of mine, and many, many people. He had known Trey since Trey moved to Vermont. Like they're basically the same age and they used to play together way back in the day and in Vermont. And so I was in high school, I was 16. We had a killer music department, music program at my high school. And we'd only do one competition a year. Some people love competitions. Our director hated competitions, but he'd be like, fine, you can do one a year. And we did the same one every year. And we won it every year for like, I don't know, like 15 years in a row or something. It was like Mm -hmm. that, whatever. One of the judges of that was Dave Grippo in 1996 when I was a junior in high school. And he came backstage after our little four song set or whatever. And he was like, where is she? Where is she? He's like, hey, I'm in trouble. (laughs) No, he's like, hey, you are having way too much fun up there for me to not be in a situation having that much fun next to you. You want to be in my band? And I was like, I would love to be in your band. He goes, you got a parent here? (laughs) He's like, Mrs. Hartswick. And so they had a little chat and I joined his like jazz sextet. And then that next year, Trey was making his first solo record. He's like, hey, I got this weird piece of music. Who should I get to play trumpet? And Dave was like, oh, man, you haven't met Jen. You're going to love Jen. And so I came in and I did a session for one song one day. I was a senior in high school. And it's this really avant-garde, bizarre piece of music, which if you really want to get into it, it's called At the Barbecue. <laughs> yes, I want to get into it. I it's want to get from, into uh, it. off of his record, One Man's Trash. And oh, my God. It's this weird sort of like piece of music where no one plays on the same on the same downbeat or on the same upbeat. It's like, so it ends up sounding like, it's very strange piece of music. And so my part was totally weird. And I thought, wow, this guy's really weird. And I knew who Fish was, but I wasn't a fan because I was like involved in my nerd alert, classical, you know, whatever situation. So anyway, I walked into the session and he'll tell the story sometimes on stage, but he's like, you were the only person who came in like knowing their music. You hung with all these older dudes. You were a joy to be around. You did it right every time. We kept having to stop for everybody else but you. And you did it all with a smile on your face. And it was just like such a vibe. And I remember thinking like, that was cool. This guy's weird. I'll probably never see him again. (laughs) And then it turns out I would just spend my entire life with him, which is like your most of your life. My, yeah, it's not exactly what so I thought. what age were you at at that point? I was 17 at that point. 17 years old. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So you think you're never going to see him again. You go on to college to study. What yeah, to study? study music. I lasted three semesters. It was just not the right place for me. I met a bunch of amazing students, amazing kids, you know, who are now. I lasted some- three semesters too. That you seems did? to be a commonality. Yeah, yeah. Before I was like, I'm going to not simulated music career. I'm just going to go to yeah. Nashville. Yeah. But I heard a pretty amazing story on my buddy Andy Frasca's podcast. Oh. Hi, Andy. Hi, Andy. It was incredible. You know, I don't want to disparage the school at, 
at any point because I know that you love the school, but some of these professors were touring musicians yeah. and you were in a master's class for vocal tuning. I was in like a master's level um, ear training class. You've now spent four years in college and now you're getting your master's degree. And I was 19 and taking that class. And then long story short, they asked me to teach the class. And I said, because you were singing a trumpet solo that had been notated, a Coltrane. Coltrane solo. Yeah. A sax solo that nobody else, we had to sight sing it. So I did it. And then the whole class erupted in applause. And I thought, this is like, you guys should be able to do this. I didn't think it was strange that I could do it. I still don't think it's strange. Mm-hmm. Like I can, you know, I've gotten a little rustier, but at that point I could read music. Like I could read English. It's just not that serious. I've been doing it for so long. So anyway, they held me after class and said, well, are you willing to teach this class for us? And I was 19 years old. The students were like 30, 40 years old. And I said, I am actually going to quit the entire school. <laughs> like, this is like, nope. Not only will I not teach your class, I will not be attending any more classes. And I left and I packed up my stuff and I decided I'll just go back to Vermont and figure it out. And 10 minutes later, my phone rang and it was Trey. And he was like, hey, we're, um, do you want to be in a band with me? <laughs> I said, sure. He's like, we're rehearsing right now. Can you come to that my house? That same exact day. Mm-hmm. And that was our first tour ever. That's insane. Yeah. And the serendipity is, is wild. Yeah unbelievable what did your parents think my parents thought it was super cool so they weren't nervous at all about like a 19 year old jen being if they were they didn't show it i also uh, my mom and i share this together but you know i grew up being very sure of who i was as a person and so did she she was super mature for her age she married my dad when she was 19 years old and they've been married 46 years. I mean, like she's, she was just always mature for her age and knew who she was. And I got that from her. And so she knew that I could handle whatever situation. And she knew that at that point, she's got to let me do what I want to do anyway, you know, but it was also really nice, really nice gentleman in the band. And she knew that if I had a reason to leave, I would leave. I trusted me. I trusted my gut. And well, sometimes you know, I wonder, are women expected to forfeit an opportunity because there could be a potential for yeah. like some unseemly things happening? Yeah. It's like, no, I think you earn yeah. an opportunity I was and you can handle yourself. Ever, and obviously it's been yeah. decades later where you yeah. see something that has served you well and it's been just yeah, an incredible I, journey. I was too naive and young to even ever think about that. And now looking back on it, you know, there's so yeah. And the way that I grew up and the people who surrounded me in my life were such good people. The women in my family were treated like queens. The men in my family are amazing. Everyone's incredibly respectful. That's what I grew up with. And that's what I expected. It never even occurred to me that it would be any different. And so I go through life expecting to be treated that way. And that's not a bad thing. That's like if someone is disrespectful or a certain other way, then like, fuck off. I have no business being with you. You know what I mean? It's not like a like a situation where I'm like, oh, I guess I better behave differently or else whatever. Right. It's like I was on, I did this panel really like at the height of the Me Too movement with all these women, all these female musicians who had all these horror stories. And I, you know, I got horror stories too. They just don't happen to be with that band. 
you know, everybody has their own stories. And this one woman went on and on and on and on about like how all these things had happened to her and she gets treated so differently because she's a woman. And, you know, people look at her and think she doesn't know how to play music because she's a woman, whatever, all, all the things that for me, I'm like, I laugh at and let roll off my back because I'm a secure enough person. And I realize not everybody has that luxury. But at the end of the panel, it was just this sort of like male bashing thing. And I was like, listen, man, I, I just, these things do need to be talked about. They really right. do need to be talked about. And, and people need to feel like they can come forward and talk about this shit. But at the same time, there are amazing men out there who this would never, ever occur. And I just want to say that I have been in a band with these men for now 23 years since we started working together. And they are the ultimate gentlemen. They are all fathers. They're all fathers of girls, which I never put together. They oh. all have daughters. And so no one ever treated me any differently than they would treat their own daughter in those situations. And I just would like to be clear about that too. Everybody should be comfortable enough to tell their own stories. But also I want people to know that like there are some there are fantastic, stuff, right. like amazing, caring, thoughtful, wonderful, respectful. The love there. jumps off the screen and we'll get to the beacon jams, but it was such yeah. a delight watching the other week because yeah. the trust between you and Trey and everyone that you were on stage with is palpable. Yeah. And I also, when I set out to do this podcast, you know, I told you a little bit about it. It's all women guests, but yeah. I'm very adamant about not ghettoizing women and not yeah. making it something about man is bad because those are my collaborators yeah. and I'm, I'm so with you. And I think that it's a delicate balance because you said something very important that I feel like might be the best answer to what's your advice for women in the industry. And it's just don't put up with shit yeah. and, and have a standard that would be applicable to everyone that you interact right. with, right. male or female, and, yeah. and demand those standards to be met yeah. or, or move on. Or if move you on, tolerate that's it bullshit, then you'll get bullshit. Exactly. Um, unfortunately, men and women dole that out. So thank you yeah. for yeah. speaking to your experience because I think that it's very apparent to me that there's a deep care and love and respect for you yeah. when you all are on stage together. So Trey calls you on the day that you want to <laughs> drop out of college, which is absolutely <laughs> bananas. And you drive four hours, you rehearse, you're falling in love with his music and he wants to start a band. And it's already at a point in his career where Fish is so well-known worldwide, yeah. but this is more of a festival band. It's it's backing up Trey. There's vocal arrangements, whereas Fish is like a four-headed monster. It's mm -hmm. exciting to watch. And then you also have Ghosts in the Forest, which we'll get to. But this was at 19. You're touring. You're around these men who are like your family. You become kind of royalty in the jam scene, you become an inadvertent jam queen, like Jayha. I think I was listening to a jam-based yeah. podcast and they introduced you as Jayha. And I yeah. was spit my coffee out. Yeah. But, you know, what were your early ambitions in music versus what incredible success you've had in the jam scene? I, I didn't know there was a jam scene. So my ambitions were, were totally different. I mean, if you had asked me at 14 years old, at 20 years old, at 25 years old, I would have given you the same answer, which is 
you know, I want to have my own quintet and I want to headline North Sea and Montreux. And I was interested in jazz and fronting like a jazz operation as a trumpet player. I mean, I didn't start singing for real until I was probably 25. I always sang. That blows my damn mind. could sing, you know what I mean? But not like, I think I was telling Andy actually too, that like I was raised in musical theater world too. And so I was always playing, every time I was singing, I was playing a, a part, I was playing a role. And so I didn't know what my own voice sounded like. I'd never really stopped to think about it. You know, I'd been practicing trumpet five hours a day forever, but I don't practice singing. I have no idea like what my own actual voice sounds like. It didn't really have to think about it until I started singing more and more and more. And then the more I started working on it, the more I started figuring out what my own voice sounded like. But that was a long answer to your question. But I saw myself as a trumpet player touring the world as a, you know, as a jazz artist, which I still want to do. Life is long. I was, you know? was going to yeah, say, no, no, I, I can I know. do all yeah. this stuff still. I'm going to do it all. But now I think, you know, the practicality of being able to sing opens up the amount of gigs that you can play because people aren't hiring men now just as a trumpet player. I mean, people need singers a lot more frequently than they need trumpet players. So I kind of more than doubled my workload, which is great. You know, as a kid, you don't realize the the practicality of becoming a musician. You're just like, oh, I want to I wanna play trumpet. You don't think about how you're going to pay your bills and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, like, when it's, I loud. Started, <laughs> it's loud. Uh, once I started singing, I was like, oh, I can make a lot more money doing this than I... Like I can actually pay my bills as a singer as well. So mm-hmm. well, it's not very voice... romantic, but that's the, that's the truth. Sure it is. That's, tr- that's the <laughs> definition of romance. Uh, <laughs> paying your bills by singing, you're singing for your mm. supper. Yeah. But... <laughs> Since you're bringing up singing and just solely singing, I'm going to jump to present day. By the time everyone hears this, unfortunately, the Beacon Jam series will be over. Sure. I'm very, I'm very sorry for those of you who missed it. You weren't able to go because of the pandemic and COVID for the first how many weeks of this series? Well, it's all very planned out. So I was never going to go. They all kind of just build. And so the idea was that there are eight weeks of shows and I would be on five and six, weeks five mm. and six, which just happened. Six just happened. Um, so the first four were a certain thing. And then, you know, we added singers. And and you did the trumpet solo with your mouth singing. <laughs> I guess so. I didn't Every know story ends a, in stone. Such a hit. It was so funny. It was amazing. And <laughs> you, A, you didn't know, I don't think, that you're going to do that. We haven't done that song. Somebody said that the, you know, fish people love their stats. Uh, oh, yeah. Somebody said it. I'm, I'm low-key one of them, but. <laughs> yeah, okay. I know so the year you, if you want me to tell you. You do? Was it 2003? Yes. That's what I heard. Like, that's bonkers. So, A, you killed it. The trumpet solo that you sang Thanks. was awesome. It was so much fun. <laughs> I love the live stream comment section. People were like, oh, she's man. the mayor that's of Rocktown. So cool. I love Celise and Joe. It seems like yeah. you guys are super tight. Uh, these are the Angels Three, as Trey refers to you guys. And yeah. So I don't know where that came from, but I love it. Well, I think it's a very fitting name. And yeah. who arranges all these vocal parts? 
for that particular thing, okay, so we had Ghost Ghost of the Forest was week five, and and that is um, and that's you and Fishman and Trey. That's right, and um, Tony Markellis and Celise Anderson um, and, and what, Ray Poshkowski. What's the difference between the Trey van and a Ghost of the Forest? There's a lot of differences. I'm sure this Ghost is a forest, complicated answer. Yeah, I'm going to try and rein it in in my brain. Ghost of the Forest was written as a specific project for Trey lost his childhood lifelong best friend to cancer. And he wrote a bunch of music sort of in honor of him and as a tribute to him, put it all together in a show. So it's the same set list every night, which is very new and uncomfortable for him <laughs> um, to play the same show each night because he hasn't done that in the, you know, for his whole life. He seems um, like a bit of a masochist when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, you can say that. And so for as long as I have known him and known the Fish guys, I haven't played for any length of time with him and Fishman. And he spent his life with Fishman and he spent a bunch of his life with Russ Lawton on drums as well. So at our first rehearsals back in the day, like whenever a year and a half ago or whenever we started Ghost of the Forest rehearsals, this was the first time I had been in the same room, like really shedding and rehearsing with Trey and Fish. And because they've been together so long, it was such a beautiful understanding of Trey even more watching the two of them work and be together and whatever because like you know he and I are going 20 plus years strong but they're going twice that essentially almost and so I learned a lot about Trey by their interaction it made me really really happy like they're just such a unit and wow. so that project came about like that he also had the realization that Fish and Tony Markellis have never played together it was the bass player in Anastasia band and so it was sort of this this melding of like this project is so personal I want my favorite people on it like it was a really emotional project that's how that came about so all those vocal arrangements for Ghost of the Forest was stuff that we came up with together during those rehearsals now fast forward <laughs> or rewind depending on mm -hmm. how you want to do it rewind two weeks where we did Ghost of the Forest of the Beacon we really felt like we couldn't, Salise and I couldn't accomplish what we really needed to as singers without a third singer. And so we sort of begged him to get Joe. And as fate would have it, she had just moved back from LA and was in New York and didn't have to quarantine and didn't have, you know, she, she met all the standards and took the tests and just came and showed up. So she had two days to learn 30 songs. Um, and so our rehearsals were 16 hours a day. And so those arrangements are pretty set. But last week was like Fishapalooza, all these songs that don't have backup vocals. The three singers stayed on, which was not originally going to happen, but he was having so much fun. He's like, can you guys just stay? And so then it was like, oh shit, now we don't know any of these songs and they don't have vocals on them. So between Carmel Dean and Rob Stevenson, the two of them like just went to town and arranged like 20 songs in a day and a half you know, we've got charts coming through and revisions and all this stuff. And it was a total madhouse, but it was so fun. I and loved it. It seemed like people really, really dug it. And for me, the reason it was so fun, I think, was because I don't, I mean, I can count the times I've seen fish on almost one hand, even though people sort of associate me with them. I've probably seen maybe seven times or something. And so I don't know the repertoire. 
And I've seen them more than you have. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, most people have. And so I don't know the repertoire. So for me to come in and it was so fresh and so new that I don't have any preconceived notions about what it's supposed to or not supposed to sound like. And so we just got to kind of like rip over stuff and have fun with it. And he was having so much fun. And we were having so much fun. And uh, it was people's favorite by a long shot, I think, because it was stuff that people were familiar with, but it was a really different take on it. I was singing the background vocals to Farmhouse. (laughs) Like all day, Saturday and Sunday. And my husband and I were just like, we got such a kick out of it because we're like, this is awesome. This is so, it's it's fish reimagined. And I am a total BGV nerd. Like I love arranging. And so for me, that was just like so much fun. Yeah, thanks. Um, it shocks me that you guys were able to perform with such precision on on the fly, essentially thanks. like that. On the cluster fly. On I the cluster fly, nice. <laughs> it was awesome. You've been to only a handful of fish shows, mm-hmm. but we'll go back to you being inadvertently jam scene royalty. You know, what, what are your thoughts on that scene, especially as a teenager when you know, Shakedown Street and for those of you who don't know, there's of course like a sober fan base, but drugs are definitely a thing and yeah. they're yeah. smart. They're very smart. They pay close yeah. attention people who are in it don't realize how interesting it is and how unlike any other fan base they are in the world. The fact that people don't just come watch a show. When I was, you know, 20, 21 years old, every, everyone in the front row had a notepad and a pen and they would write down the set list and they would, you know what I mean? This is like pre cell phone and now it's a little different, but everyone is just collecting all of this information or whatever. And I thought like, this is such a strange part of this. And I think it's strange for anybody who isn't in that scene. But, you know, the idea of the band being so improvisational was appealing to me because that was kind of my bag. And, you know, it's grown kind of in its own way. I think there's somehow like EDM is sort of getting lumped into that a little bit. There's like a whole other genre of Jamtronica. You know, there's like all these sort of like outskirts and whatever. But I have a hard time. And this I, this may sound like a total cop-out answer, but it's truly how I feel. I have a really hard time nailing down a genre and saying something is one thing. And I think that's something that musicians didn't make that up. Musicians are musicians. You know, like, can you play this and that? Yeah, it's all music. So I don't know. I don't like, I just don't like labels for music in particular. I just think it's like, it doesn't suit me very well. Because I don't want to be lumped in with anything. That's, um, I think, why I am in the jam scene. Because yeah, right. the Nashville Music Row system has failed to market yeah. me in their yeah. way. I think if you are doing this for as long as I have been doing it, certainly as long as you have been doing it, then you're going to be exploring all yeah. the different corners of your musicality. And growing. The jam scene and seems to be like, welcoming... Yeah. in that regard. And that's what I've enjoyed most in participating in a lot of those festivals and scenes. Yeah. How do you keep your head on your shoulders with just like the substances floating around? And was that just oh. never something that 
Yeah, it was never um, it was never a thing. My mom's never had a sip of alcohol. My dad doesn't drink. All my friends would smoke weed in high school. Again, it was like a a feeling of being secure with who I was, which is a gift in so many ways. But yeah, I mean, there were drugs everywhere, and especially during that time. I mean, Trey's been sober thirteen years at this point, but I was with I've been with him for twenty three. So sure, you know, you do the math. Um, you do the math. Yeah, and you know it didn't make me think less of anybody. It was just like, yeah, no, that's not something that I'm interested in. You know, I was a total band nerd. Like I'd rather practice, I'd rather read a book, you know, right. and, and it made me who I am. And I'm very grateful for that. That is, is a testament to your talent and how wise you were at 19 and what yeah. you're saying that your mother instilled in you. I really think that I'm very lucky because yeah. it, what a oh, climate man. to to be oh, in man. and all of a sudden you're on a tour bus and you're yeah. in front of these die hard fans and yeah. you know, people yeah. and everybody was you are and, and you're written in that history yeah. now forever. Yeah. So yeah. what are things that you would want to see more of in that scene That's or in music question. in general, maybe yeah. in, in the places that you're collaborating and, and performing? Yeah, I would love to see women getting their just due, you know, it's like, it's, I I didn't work this fucking hard to be a novelty act, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Or to make somebody else sound better. I think that's a very uh, archaic patriarchal thing is like, you know, we'll stand up here with the men and we'll hire the women to make us sound good and look good and whatever. And it's like, I don't really play that game and people that I'm around don't play that game. Normalizing having badass women around who are leading shit you know it's like this whole idea of like women being in the background is such a joke and and in the mainstream that's all you see so you know the real ones know what's going on you know like we all know who's real and who's running shit and whatever but it's it's not really out in the public eye so you know i'd love to see more women who are writing their own music unapologetically you know so many things are even if women are in the forefront it's something that some dude wrote you know and i i Mm -hmm. don't think it's really it's not really uh overly comfortable or encouraged for women to write and get their asses out there and do it um i think it's really important you know do what you're here to do. Right. You know, who cares? And it's not even like a feminist act. I don't think it's just a human act. It's like, if you were born to do this, then just fucking do it and do it unapologetically and, and do it how you want to do it. Because now with the state of the music business, the way it is, I mean, it's kind of like such a joke, like the label is a joke. And then they only want people who look and sound like something that's been successful before no one's willing to like take a chance on anybody. And so you have to do it yourself. Like no one's going to do it for you. Be unapologetically who you are. Don't look at other people for how they did it. It doesn't matter. You have to do it how you feel, trust your gut and just fucking do it. And if you fall on your face, cool, get up and do it again. Right. You know, but I I just think that there's a template to follow. Yeah. Yeah. If you want a template, you better go do something else. And if you're not willing to die for this craft, you better go do something else because it is hard Mm -hmm. and it's exhausting. And if you can see yourself doing anything else other than this, please go do it because (laughs) you're going to get trampled on and you're going to have a miserable life. But if this is the thing that you were born to do and you just can't help it and this is who you are, get it done. Do the things that are uncomfortable and, and do it how you see fit. And if nobody ever acknowledges you, that's cool. 
You know, if people acknowledge you, great. But the thing that makes you uniquely you is also the thing that you probably got made fun of as a kid for or as an adult for or whatever. But that's the shit that makes you you. And that's the the reason why you were put here is for that little gem of a thing. That's how, that's how I think anyway. So more original music forward too, I yeah. think would be awesome to see. Yeah. You know, there there are lots of tribute shows. I loved Sigma Oasis. Yeah. And what were you a part of the album that Trey did during the pandemic? Or was that just nope. so hard? The Lonely yeah, Trip. Yeah, that was, yeah, that was all him and I think some New York folks too. But yeah. But, you know, we both live in Nashville and I've heard you yeah. sing Nashville's praises. What, are, what was your yeah. reason for moving to Nashville because it's essentially just where your closet is. You're on the road. All that's the time. exactly right. And that, and that's what it is. And I hope that it becomes more than that to me, but it, you know, my husband's from the Memphis area and that's right. I, I moved down there when we started hanging out and he's like, you know, I've been looking to move my entire life. So if you don't want to stay here, if you want to go somewhere else and we just kind of chatted about it and Nashville we've been there eight years now and so it seemed like that's that'd be a cool place to try and then you know potentially the goal at that point was like man wouldn't it be amazing to be able to play in our own city and sleep in our own bed which is something that neither one of us has ever done and it seemed like there was enough going on in Nashville that that was the possibility and so we just like headed east a few hours we're still really close to his family who's in Memphis and it just seemed like a pretty central place to to land it wasn't even really because of musical reasons you know but for the first time in my life like you know I've never bought a house anywhere I've never I've been so transient my whole life that there's never been anywhere and where I'm like yeah no I this is cool how about here and we both did that we bought a house in December and we said okay cool how about here for a little while so because I'm on the road so much I don't know anything that happens in the town and now the chance that I have to be home for seven months everything's shut down (laughs) right exactly (laughs) I don't know what's going on in this town either and I've been here for the last eight months there's Um. so many incredible musicians and writers and 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 OGs and like you know who are here that at some point I'm going to get to know little by little right now it feels like still like a brand new city because I've every year I have maybe spent like you know 20 nights <laughs> well, we have to hang out, and I'm going to show you my favorite yes. haunts. Yes, and That's exactly what I want. We can. I'll, I'll just sing, and you can play trumpet. Just the two of Did, us. Come on over, dude. She will play bass. Come on over, oh, hang out on the ooh. porch, and I'll cook food, and we can sing songs. This will be like the fifth band you're a part of. Right yeah, now. yeah, it's, yeah. We're just I'm ready. Start another one. <laughs> well, I'm so glad you're here. You elevate the scene. I love what's going on in Nashville, to be honest. Yeah. I've, I feel like my first six or seven years here were definitely like the music row way. Mm-hmm. And then when I got untangled from that, there's a lot of yeah. people that I love from that process, but it almost yep. felt like I had reinvigorated this experience and moved to a new town. So the last eight years that you've been here is really yeah. when everything started popping for me here and just yeah. like, oh, this is a special network of people and yeah. the music coming out of here is definitely just much more expansive than than what awesome. I moved. And I moved here when I was 19 too. So yeah. I wish that I had the people around me like you had with Trey and everything. But yeah. 
a baptism by fire experience and yeah. I keep learning every day. But yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. It has to be your vocation. And if you don't want to do the work, then yeah. go do whatever that other answer of your alternative path might be. Jen, you're just the absolute best. I could talk to you forever. <laughs> What's 2021 got in store? Man, your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, right. I don't know. I'm not I, really, do that I genuinely anymore. don't know. Um, I think more writing because I can do that in my little home. And most of the time, I feel as though I don't truly have time enough to even sit down for a couple hours and write. And now I have nothing but time. And it's been really, really cool and really nice to just like write and share stuff, you know, with Nick and so that's been really cool. I, I think more of that. Nick and I have done some private shows out outdoors, which was really fun. Um, I discovered Nick, Nick because of you, and he is so incredibly Ooh, talented. Baby. Yeah, he's not from here. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, <laughs> that's, a, he's that's, a that's one way to put it. Yeah, man. He's a, he's Where is he alien. from? He's from Vermont. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. You guys are just all hanging out up in Vermont, just that's waiting it. to unleash your amazing yeah. music on the world yeah i met him when he was 14 years old and he's been that good since he was that that age well damn Weird. and Celise is Celise in the outfit with you guys every now and then she did a couple shows with us i had um Celise and natalie on a couple of gigs so we were a quartet which was really fun but no not not usually it's just a duo normally but i want to anything see can happen yeah i, I also love the story I've played Rockwood Music Hall in New York City, and I know how <laughs> small ass, like, mm-hmm. that is the tiniest venue ever. Yeah. And you know how some people are like, hey, let me know when you're in town. Like, I promise yeah. I'll come. And you're like, sure. Yeah. But yeah. you told Trey, because you promised him that you would. Yeah. You're coming like, you to come play to- with Nick. Yeah. He said, you come all the time. He's like, you come to New York, and you never even tell me that you're coming. And I'm like, babe, you can't come to the kinds of place i'm not playing the garden i'm playing like <laughs> you know a, a hundred seat venue with i love cat, rockwood music know? hall but it's i can't awesome. imagine yeah what would happen if trey oh had walked through was, the door when i was playing oh so great so he called my bluff is what happened i was like hey i'm coming to new york just letting you know i'll be there on like a wednesday <laughs> night or something and he goes i want to come and I was like, all right, whatever. And I also know that, like, you don't really truly believe what he says until he's said it a couple of times, usually three. And so he said it a bunch and he made plans and he's like, I'm going to be there. Just send me whatever tunes you want me to because I asked him to play. And I was like, well, if you're going to be there, you got to, well, you come play. Play yeah, your yeah, music, just, your yeah, original. Play my that music. is right. Yeah. And so he I didn't he know that playing. part. I and then that. I called. Christian McBride, who is on the Nexus record as well, who's like one of my biggest heroes of all time. And I was like, hey man, Trey's coming down to play a couple of tunes with us at Rockwood. You want to come? And he was like, yeah, I got a gig in the city that night. I was just coming down after. So we cleared out Rockwood. It was the last set of the night. So at 8.45, whatever, they clear it out. And I didn't realize that there was a velvet curtain that goes the whole length of that front window. So they shut the entire building so nobody could see. And so because we had to sort of like tell the people at Rockwood what was happening because we needed extra security and whatever. So then everybody blabbed and all of a sudden it was sold out in four seconds. So anyway, we're in Rockwood 
at nine o'clock at night, there's no one in there. Like Trey comes in with his little guitar and his teeny little amp that he brought like in a cab. That's <laughs> so cute. And he set it I up and had like a little sound check. And then, you know, there's that balcony in Rockwood One that that usually there's a few people in or whatever. And so it was my best friend, Reagan, and Christian and Trey up in the balcony. And nobody ever saw them. They let everybody in. We played the set and like they did the last three songs with us. And they came to the little stairway and walked up onto the stage. Oh, it was so funny. And I had this moment of realization where I've been friends with him for so long. I've never introduced him before. I was like, ladies and gentlemen, Trey Anesthesio. And I thought, wow, these words have never come out of my mouth before. So, and How many songs did you, he play of yours? Three. three. He got to feel just a little bit of the pain of cramming your originals. <laughs> I love yeah. that you served it back to him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. At least I gave him ample time. I gave him a whole day. <laughs> well, he is clearly just one of the best, most focused musicians out there. But I think yeah. that everyone on stage has to be as much, if not more, to yeah. follow him as a band leader. So that's just a testament to you and your abilities and, and your friendship. And then the fact that he would show up at Rockwood, which we all love, but you know, security is a thing, especially in New York that's City. so funny. Jennifer Hartswick, you're the shit. We love you're you. You're the we shit, my you. lady. I, I can't wait to see you. Right Have back. so much fun with your family. And Thanks. Uh, keep doing it. Thanks so much to Jay Ha, the Jennifer Hartswick, for spending some time with us today. Isn't she awesome? That was so much fun. You can follow her at Jay Hartswick on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to check out videos from Trey Anastasio's recent Beacon Jams available on YouTube to see Jen in her element. And make sure to take some time to listen to the great music from her duo with Nick Casarino. It's truly incredible material. You've been listening to Salute the Songbird on Osiris Media. The executive producers are Kirsten Cluthy and Brad Stratton from Osiris Media and Austin Marshall. The show is edited and mixed by Brad Stratton. Original music by Maggie Rose. Please subscribe to Salute the Songbird on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast content. And if you like the show, please recommend it to a friend or leave us a review so that others can join the conversation. Thanks for listening, and to close out the show, here's I Who Have Nothing by Jennifer Hartswick featuring Christian McBride on the upright bass.
Stop. 